You are listening to Booze, Bullshit, and True Crime. I'm Bree. I'm Wade. And we're going to talk about some gnarly shit. Hell yeah. So, we decided for this week to do Florida Man Crimes. Woo! So everyone has kind of heard that term, Florida Man. So what exactly is Florida Man? It's kind of a accumulation of people that do fucking crazy ass shit in headlines and we kind of just gawk at it and make the assumption that florida's fucking nuts well it's also a twitter uh twitter account too. <laughs> twitter twitter a account. twitter account well there's a twitter account and there's a bunch of memes and stuff and then there's also an internet thread that started in like 2013 and a bunch of users Add like links or articles of unusual and crazy crimes in Florida. So now it's actually like a it's a thing now. There's a Reddit page and an yeah. Instagram too. It's like all over the place. Fucking crazy. And I forgot before we get into it, we improvised. Generally, we are drinking whiskey when we're recording, but we have <laughs> been heavily drinking as we went to that music festival last weekend. Drained our resources. No liquor. So, we went down to the gas station, and I saw Joey, if you're listening. Hi, Joey. Got some vodka, had smoothie shit. We have adult smoothies right now. Bomb. And Wade's notes weren't done yet, so I sat here, like, drinking by myself, and... They are done. I just feel like I am a robot when I read my stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So, I was editing them, so I didn't feel like I was a robot. I was still, Thank you for waiting patiently. I was still drinking alone for like half an hour, 45 minutes, so this will be good. All right. Florida has earned a reputation for being home to some colorful characters, most no- notably the quote-unquote Florida man we've been talking about. He isn't actually like a single person. He's rather a trope of Florida men who've made headlines for doing something unusual, crazy, funny. Florida's always been known as a crazy state, Um, I'll do some background psych into it because there are some definite reasons why this is thought of Florida and why crazy ass things happen there. Yeah. It's impossible to admit that crazy shit doesn't come out of Florida headline wise. Um, but there are some more things at work here. One of the first being the sunshine law. In layman's terms, uh, Florida's laws on what is released to the public during court hearings and proceedings, investigations, arrests, and so on, is lax, to say the least. And a a lot of of important details in other states, when they release documents, there's shit redacted from them. Um, So there's a lot of stuff that they leave out, like in California or all other states. We can't see, you know, people's names or, like, certain Mm -hmm. things that happen. There's big chunks that are taken out. Yeah, freedom of information laws. Right. But the states can essentially pick and choose what is released to the public. I know California is really stringent. Um, A lot of things we don't know, hence Mm -hmm. the Israel Keys case. Yeah. I mean, we don't know a lot about that. It just depends. But in Florida, people get all the juicy details, literally. And when it comes to criminal investigations, those juicy details can be straight cray. So pretty much what you're saying is that since the freedom of information laws, there's going to be a shit ton more awesome headlines coming out of Florida. Well, just the fact of the matter is that you get everything in Florida. Like, So then there will be a lot more articles. Yeah. So when a news company goes to, what is it, the public records, mm-hmm. and asks for the arrest record or the 911 call or whatever, like yeah. you get the whole fucking thing. There's nothing redacted from that shit. Fuck yeah. Which is amazing. 
Um, Florida began its tradition of openness with information back in 1909 with the passage of Chapter 119 of the Florida Statutes or the quote-unquote public records law, which we were just speaking on. This law provides that any records made or received by any public agency in the course of its official business are available for inspection unless specifically exempt by the Florida legislature. So everything's available unless it's, I would assume, like a minor, um, something that's still under investigation, maybe things of that nature. Over the years, the definition of what constitutes public records has come to include not just traditional written documents, such as papers, maps, and books, but also tapes, photographs, film, sound recordings, and records stored in computers. So even text messages between people, all the digital shit, like all that stuff's available. Yeah. Florida's government in the Sunshine Law was enacted in 1967. Today, the Sunshine Law regarding open government can be found in Chapter 286 of the Florida Statutes. These statutes establish a basic right of access to most meetings of boards, commissions, and other governing bodies of state and local governmental agencies or authorities. So, also the meetings that these people hold are completely open as well. <clears throat> so, that's one reason for the crazy. We just know more. Mm-hmm. When something happens, you know everything. Another contributing factor to the crazy in Florida would be the justice system. It just cannot shake its inescapable racist reputation, which I was unaware of until I started looking into this. It's not just the Trayvon Martin prosecution team who could not convict George Zimmerman, so that young African-American kid that was shot by him. I mean, they have the Stanger Ground Law in that. It just, we won't even get into that, but that was fucked up. That's all I'll say. The same prosecutor that sent a black woman who was a young mother to jail for 20 years for firing a warning shot after her husband, a known domestic abuser, threatened her. So apparently the standard ground law only applies to men of privilege. Um, Same prosecutor as the Trayvon Martin case, and all this woman did was fire a warning shot. She didn't warn him, or she didn't fire at him, and he was abusing her. Um, and she was still convicted. So just those two examples right there kind of tell you what's going on in the judicial system in Mm -hmm. Florida. (laughs) All right. As UrbanDictionary.com notes, while Floridans with pre-Civil War roots are proud to be called crackers and are known for fishing and swimming in lakes and rivers, knowing what swamp cabbages and how to cook it, eating cane syrup on biscuits and gravy on squirrel and rice, and knowing to take off one's hat when hearing Dixie or any Leonard Skinner song. I can't believe you put that in here. I had to. How oh amazing is that? God. And that's Urban Dictionary. <coughs> I'm setting the scene. Love to be called cracker. I don't mind being called a cracker. Nope. Because I was swimming lakes and rivers. and Listening like to Leonard f- Skinner. You better have your hat off, boy. Oh, I need a drink after that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Florida has been called a sunny place for shady people. <laughs> Roger Stone, one of the Richard Nixon's henchmen, told the New Yorker that he moved to Miami in the 1990s because I fit right in. To say that Florida has a loose regulatory environment barely states it. People move there to buy homes that can't be seized in bankruptcy proceedings, which... How? (laughs) There are loose gun laws, of which the standard ground law is one example. Ford noted that the state has no system to monitor the distribution of prescription drugs, and there's no state income tax. 
No, yeah, we knew that one. So it's kind of like the form of the Wild West in that way, which they can't seize your home in bankruptcy. Like, okay. What if you claim your home in the bankruptcy? You just have it for free now? Is that how that works? Uh, no. I should have done no. more research. <laughs> also, Florida is hot and humid as fuck. Um, that alone can be enough to drive anyone crazy at times. So it's a big melting pot of people. Uh, there's a lot of retirees. There's a lot of immigrants. And all of the reasons I kind of went over just brews a little bit of crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's that's my uh The humidity and the heat pissed me off. Oh, God, that made me so mad. And the, Unless the, I was retired. Then I'd just be on the fishing boat or something. The climate doesn't change, though. Like, it's mm -hmm. that humidity and temperature the entire year. Nah. It was 87 degrees outside today, and I just wanted to cry when I walked out there. Cry, baby. I mean, fuck the heat. So, for my ending and background, I'm going to do some Florida Man Crime headlines that mm. I found. Because I thought they would be funny. First up, Florida Man punched a pizza delivery boy after he forgot his garlic knots. Oh, I'd be pissed too. I won't take it that far. But punch him in the face? I get pissed. I had a long discussion with a young man when we were living in Fresno about him. Stop <laughs> defending the fucking crazy ass florida man it probably wasn't even that kid's fault he didn't have the garlic knots bullshit it's always delivery's fault he's the message boy you always kill the message boy anyway florida man attempts to smoke crack in icu almost burns down the hospital that makes sense too. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> when you gotta do it you gotta do yeah, it man you want some crack you want some crack man oh jeez. florida man bites off neighbor's ear because he wouldn't give him a cigarette and there's a picture, and literally his whole earlobe is just, like, hanging on by a tiny little baby oh thread. God. He didn't even smoke cigarettes. <laughs> the neighbor. Oh, poor guy. Elderly Florida man caught masturbating in McDonald's parking lot claims his privacy was invaded. <laughs> True. <laughs> I see that. <laughs> I guess they walked up to the window, and they, like, knocked on the guy's window, and he rolls it down, and he's like, Excuse me, I live out of my car. Can I have a little privacy here? And they're like, you you can't jack off in a public parking lot. That's illegal. Wow. Florida man once arrested for fighting drag queen with a tiki torch while dressed like KKK member now running for mayor. Fuck yeah. No. mayor. Why would you fight a drag queen with a tiki torch? Leave the, the drag queen The drag queen was probably beating his ass. Still unfair advantage with the tiki torch. I don't like that. Fuck that guy. Florida man escapes prison to buy beer. No one notices. I love <laughs> he it. He snuck back in, he too. snuck back in with the beer. Florida man arrested after hitting dad with pizza because he was mad he helped birth him. Oh, my God. I don't understand. Florida man chews up police car seat after cocaine arrest. <laughs> Florida man threatens to kill man with kindness. Uses machete named kindness. <laughs> <laughs> Florida man accused of luring kids to tell cops he can't recall as he drinks 18 to 20 beers before talking to children. <laughs> what? Oh, of luring kids. Okay. Yes. So gotcha. he basically lured them, talked to them. Cops came up and were like, hey, 
we're going to take you to jail. You can't do that. And he was like, I drank 20 beers. I don't remember if I talked to those children or not. <laughs> I might have got away with it. I might have misread that the first time. I already kind of drunk. All right. Florida man learns hard way. He stole laxatives, not opioids. <laughs> Ooh, bleh. Florida woman's maternity photo includes alligator, shotgun, and Bud Light. Fuck yeah. America. America fuck fuck yeah. yeah. Florida man who allegedly allegedly threatened family with Coldplay lyrics and standoff <sighs> after SWAT promises him pizza. <laughs> well done, SWAT officer. If you come out, we'll give you pizza. Yeah. Fucking goddamn it! All He's right. a stoner. He likes Coldplay. All right, last one. Florida man arrested after fight about Tupac Shakur. It me. Fuck your bitch and the click you claim. Oh my god. Uh, all right. So that is the background. So on to my story, which it's a good one and it's interesting, but it's very, very sad, which all of mine are. So it's going to be a little bit difficult to find humor here, I think. But here we go. Let's try it. My story is on Christine Falling. Uh, Christine Falling was born March 12th, 1963 in Perry, Florida. Her birth name was Christine Slaughter, which is very fitting. You will see. She was born to Anne Slaughter, age 16, and Thomas Slaughter, age 65. Christine was Anne's second child. Her sister Carol was born a year and a half earlier. So this guy, this 65-year-old guy, was fucking a 14-and-a-half-year-old girl and getting her pregnant. I mean, I know it was 1963, but like... Still. That's... Still. That's disgusting. Where's your mom? Where's your mom? Falling's early childhood was marked with persistent poverty and illness. She was severely developmentally disabled. She's prone to obesity. She was epileptic. And she experienced bouts of very aggressive behavior. And throughout her life, she was never able to surpass sixth grade vocabulary skills. So she was stunted mentally. Um, She was really awkward socially. She was really overweight. She struggled. Sounds like a typical teenager. Yeah, but I mean, she had like developmental issues. Like she, uh, okay, yeah. she had the mind of a sixth grader. Yeah. From the beginning, life for Christine was challenging. Her mother Anne would often leave for months at a time. So her mom was only sixteen. She, you know, would leave often and leave her with her sixty-five-year-old fucking dad who had to go to work every day. Um. When Anne would return home, which is Christine's mother, it seemed to her young daughters that she always came back pregnant. So every time she would take off, she'd get pregnant by somebody else, show back up to be taken care of. Over the following two years after Christine was born, Anne had two more children. They were both boys named Michael and Earl. Of all of these children, Thomas, Christine's dad, only claimed Earl as his biological child. Thomas cared for the children by bringing them out to the woods where he worked because their mom just dipped out. But when he was in a work-related accident, um, Anne, the mother, was forced to rejoin the family. After that, the children were often shuffled around to family members until, according to Carol, her mother completely abandoned them. She left them on a park bench um, near a Perry shopping center. Ouch. Yeah, so she just dropped him off and took off. It's very sad. Leaving 
or no, this is where Jesse and Dolly falling come in. So at this point, you know, Christine and all of her siblings are with the dad still and Anne completely dips out and disappears and leaves them. Now, Dolly Falling wanted to be a mother super bad. She had wanted to have children for a long time, but she wasn't able to. And her husband, Jesse, was related to the Slaughter children. So I think Jesse was Thomas's brother. So I think this was their uncle, if I'm correct. So they decided to adopt her. So they, they were still related in some way, but they were her adoptive family. Um, they adopted the two girls... Christine and her little sister, or her older sister. However, the two girls found themselves in constant conflict with their adoptive family, and they were eventually placed in a children's home named Great Oaks Village near Orlando, Florida, where Christine was only nine years old at this point. So it was basically an orphanage. Mm -hmm. By the time she entered the children's home, Falling already had a striking propensity for bizarre and violent behavior. One of her favorite activities was torturing and killing cats to determine whether they really had nine lives or not. Serial killer in the making. Ah, it's just so disturbing. Falling's caretakers at the children's home described her as a habitual liar, a compulsive thief, and a child who would break rules to gain attention. Her relationships with the other children in the refuge were horrific. Falling's obesity, poor social skills, and intellectual deficits were a constant source of cruel commentary from all of her peers. Um, the way, like, this woman did absolutely horrible things. I don't want to defend her, but the way she is spoken about in articles is pretty upsetting. I had to edit so much and write my own words in because they were calling her like a retard a fat slob a hag like i understand she did horrible things but i just don't understand i don't know you don't have to kick somebody while they're down not even just that like just talking about humans in general it was just kind of like okay she killed people and that's really horrible and she is a monster but damn like okay anyway sorry about that tangent I was just reading through this like, wow, I had to hack this up because people are really mean. It was also noted in the social workers' records that Jesse Falling had been arrested twice for sexually abusing Carol. The first arrest ended in a hung jury, and the second time Dolly Falling dropped the charges. So it's pretty evident that I think there was some sexual abuse going on in the home um, before they were sent out to the orphanage. So on top of everything else, the two girls were dealing with that as well. After a year at the refuge, the girls were returned to the Fallings, but the physical abuse continued. The final episode of physical abuse happened on Octo er, in October 1975 when Jesse allegedly subjected Christine to a severe beating for being 10 minutes late. He also insisted that she wore shorts to school the following day so everyone could see the justice marks. Jesus. Yeah, that made me sick to my stomach reading that. Like, that's a whole nother level. Um, the following day after this happened, the girls ran away, which I don't blame them. That's fucking horrific. Yeah. After six weeks of living with a friend, Christine decided to go to Blountstown, Blountstown, <laughs> and live with Anne, her birth mother. So she found her birth mm -hmm. mother somehow after she had ran off. She managed to live with Anne for a while. 
Um, and in September 1977, at the age of 14, Christine married a man who was reportedly her stepbrother, who was in his 20s. And I also read that Anne, her mother, was, like, pushing and urging her to do you this. Do probably to, like, shift the responsibility back mm-hmm. on this dude now. But the, her stepbrother? It said it was reportedly her stepbrother. So some of the articles just said a young man in his 20s, and then some of them said his stepbrother. stepbrother. Okay. So I'm not 100% sure on that one, but, like, I wouldn't be super surprised. Yeah. Um, the marriage was riddled with arguments and violence, and it, af- it ended after just six weeks. So it was very brief. It was bad, and they immediately got divorced. The failure of this relationship triggered a, triggered a new era of bizarre behavior for Christine, and over the next two years, she visited a local hospital more than 50 times with an endless series of strange medical conditions that could never be diagnosed. Jesus. Yeah, a little nuts. One time, she went complaining of bleeding, which turned out to be her regular menstrual period. <laughs> so she came in and she was like, I'm dying, I'm bleeding. And they're like, you're on your period. All right. Uh, another time she was thought, bleh, another time she thought a snake bit her, which it did not. <laughs> Within two years, she went to the hospital over 50 times. It seemed that Christine's need for attention, which the counselors at Great Oaks Village had noted, that um, orphanage, she was trans... Oh, wait. Messed up. Oh, man. I'm sorry, guys. Okay. I'm not the only one. (laughs) So basically, she was crying out for attention at the orphanage, didn't get it. That transferred to her getting married, didn't get attention there. So now she's going to the hospital trying to get attention from the hospital. That was my point. My bad. Um, So at this point, she was possibly developing Munchausen syndrome. And Munchausen is an infliction in which those affected seek the comfort from medical personnel for exaggerated or self-inflicted symptoms or illnesses. So it's just about that attention. Um, And then there is a form called Munchausen by proxy, which is when, like, parents do that to their children, which is a whole other kind of fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. So this girl, she had a lot of mental issues going on. Christine Falling had few options when it came to earning a living. She was unage uneducated and her maturity level was that of a young child so she was stunted mentally so it was very hard for her to gain employment she managed to make some money by babysitting for neighbors and family in fact it seemed to be her calling parents trusted her and she enjoyed being with the children or so it appeared now remember at this point christine is 17 years old she's a baby and as you'll soon find out she was one of the youngest serial killers in america Now for the murders. On February 25th, 1980, Cassidy Johnson, a two-year-old girl who had been in Falling's care, was rushed to the local doctor. She was suffering from life-threatening symptoms that were assumed to be caused by encephalitis. However, when the child died three days later, an autopsy was ordered. The examination disclosed that Johnson had actually succumbed to blunt force trauma of the skull. The results of the autopsy spawned an immediate investigation, obviously, and Falling was quickly interviewed by police. She claimed that the child had toppled from her crib and fallen unconscious to the floor when Falling was out of the room. However, law enforcement personnel did not believe her story. Unfortunately, though, there was no evidence to contradict Falling's version of what happened to the child, and the matter was not pursued any further. 
Soon after the incident, Falling moved to Lakeland, Florida. So she was like, peace, bitch. I'm out. Got away with murder and a baby. Two-year-old baby. Fucked up. This bitch then began babysitting again to support herself in Lakeland. Within a few months of her arrival, a four-year-old boy who was in Falling's care suddenly stopped breathing without any prior signs of illness. The death of Jeffrey Davis was as suspicious as that of Casty Johnson, and again an autopsy was ordered on the boy. The examination disclosed that the boy had suffered from a condition that caused chronic heart inflammation. However, this was deemed insufficient to be the cause of death. The medical examiner noted no other potential cause of death, and the case was closed. So they literally were just like, ah. No. And these are small children. Three days after this tragedy, the bereaved aunt and uncle of Jeffrey Davis, the small uh, boy that had just died, asked Falling to babysit their two-year-old son, Joseph Springs, so their other fucking baby, oh my God. while they attended Davis's funeral. While his parents were at the services, Joseph inexplicably died while taking a nap. The local physician speculated that the young boy may have succumbed to a viral infection and that the same mysterious disease may have also accounted for the death of Jeffrey Davis because they were, you know, related and close yeah. to each other often. Um, God damn it. That's intense. That is really intense. And I just totally lost my spot. Oh, God. Eric. I'm so sorry. You'll find it. Don't worry. I'll use the distraction. <laughs> oh, my God. Ah, <laughs> that's the most annoying noise in the world. All right. Okay, she got it. <laughs> no investigation into the deaths of the two young boys was ever, like, seriously undertaken after both of them died. And during this time, Falling left the area again, and this time moved back to Perry, Florida. <laughs> so... <laughs> Hi, I'm back again. <laughs> I'm back. Who wants me to smother their child? We're all good, right? In July 1981, Falling found a job as a housekeeper to a 77-year-old. They called him an invalid in the article, which again is very mean, so I'm going to go with sweet little old man that needed a caretaker. His name was Wilbur Swindle. On the first day of Falling's new job, what? That's mean. He's <laughs> old. Is. Don't call him an invalid. Like, Jesus Christ. Um, Swindle inexplic inexplicably died on the first day that she was caring for him while he was in the kitchen, allegedly due to a heart attack. Because of his age and his poor medical condition, local authorities did not investigate the elderly man's death. So she just keeps on. Just keeps killing. And that's her first adult. The rest have been little babies. Not long after Swindle's death, Falling's stepsister took her eight-month-old daughter, Jennifer Daniels, for her vaccinations. Falling went along... And on the way home, the stepsister ran into the store for diapers, and when she returned to the car, Falling told her that Jennifer had stopped breathing. The baby was dead. So that's her stepsister's daughter that she just killed. Jesus. And still, no, she's not in jail. She's free. She's and she's free. 19. A year later, on July 2nd, 1982, a 10-week-old infant, Travis Coleman, also stopped breathing while in Falling's care. Coleman's parents uh, cooperated with an autopsy request, and it was discovered that the infant had died from suffocation. Falling was immediately questioned by local law enforcement officials about Coleman's death, and she confessed to murdering three children by what she described as smotheration. Ugh. She claimed that she had heard voices ordering her to murder the children by placing a blanket over their faces. She claimed she had learned how to do this by watching it on television, which I don't know what the fuck you're watching. 
She also boasted about putting her own spin on the technique by placing a blanket over the children's faces. And she said that the voices in her head were telling her over and over again to kill the baby, kill the baby, kill the baby. In a taped confession, she described the events leading up to the smotheration of each child. According to Falling, well, it was about, I'd say, 8.30. She got kind of rowdy or something, which this is Casty, the first victim. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I choked her until she quit breathing and she had turned purple. Her heart had stopped beating and her pulse had stopped and she wasn't breathing. So I tried to get her back breathing and I couldn't. So then I went and called the sheriff's department, and they come out there, and then they called the ambulance to come out there, and then they took her to the hospital, and they transferred her to Tallahassee. So that's all she had to say on her. On Jeffrey Davis. He made me mad or something. I was already mad that morning. I just took it out on him, and I started choking him until he was dead. Oh, God, I can't make this funny. Um, her niece, Jennifer Daniels, died because she was quote-unquote, continually crying and crying, and it made me so mad, I just put my hands around her neck and choke her till she shut up. <laughs> Travis Coleman was sleeping when, for no apparent reason, she killed him, so she didn't even have an explanation yeah. for that one. She just felt the urge. The following quotes I'm going to go over are all excerpts from a digitized article from the Times Print Archive, and this article was printed December 4th, 1982. Christine Falling pleaded guilty today to charges of murdering three children in her care and was sentenced to life in prison. She will be eligible for parole in 25 years. Had the 19-year-old defendant gone to trial and been found guilty, she could have been sentenced to the death, to her death in the electric chair. Miss Falling, who dropped out of junior high school, was given three concurrent life sentences for strangling and suffocating two-year-old Cassidy Johnson, um, eight-month-old Jennifer Daniels, and two-month-old Travis Coleman. In exchange for the guilty pleas, the state agreed to not prosecute Miss Falling in the deaths of the 1981 two Lakeland boys that she had been hired to look after, um, or in the death in January of the elderly man. So it was kind of an offer that the prosecution couldn't refuse. So they were like, okay, she's not going to be sentenced to death in the electric chair. She'll plead guilty to these three murders, and they'll basically not prosecute her for the other ones that they mm -hmm. know she did. The bottom line is, the state made us an offer we couldn't refuse, said Baya Harrison, one of Miss Falling's lawyers. Christine was facing six potential death sentences. In the farming community of Blountstown this morning, Miss Falling pleaded guilty to two murder counts. She was then driven about 100 miles southeast to Perry, another rural Florida county seat, where she pleaded guilty to the third count. I found another article dated November 24, 2017, stating that Christine was up for parole. At this point, she had served 25 years, and the state said, Fuck all that noise, and kept her ass in prison. By law, Falling remains eligible for parole, but prosecutors told the review panel that the so-called babysitter from hell deserved no mercy, quote for quote, in that article. The article also stated that no one showed up on Falling's behalf at her parole hearing. It was empty. The panel showed no mercy, Falling... Uh, presumptive release date is 2254, so she's going to be dead before that. And Falling gets another hearing in seven years, but the question asked across the country in the wake of the deaths, can you trust your babysitter, is as relevant today as it was 25 years ago. Yeah. That's insane. Woo! That one was a little but rough. But other thing is, is we picked Florida man crimes, and I was really pulling for you to pick some crazy flesh-eating zombie maniac Austin Haroof or whatever yeah, his name whatever is. Yeah, whatever the fuck that dude's name was. I was really anticipating on you picking something like that. So, 
Sorry, guys, but we got two basic-ass Florida crimes. Well, this is the thing, though, before you start. It was either us do, like, short, shallow dives into little crazy things that happen for absolutely no reason. That's why I did all of the headlines. Or, like, true crimes that were a little unknown. Like, the Christine Falling one, I didn't really know that much about. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, when I started doing my research, it was the same thing. Like, there's great headlines, and then the story yeah. really didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Nor did it give any information for you to really research it. So, uh, I I just picked Bobby Lee Long. <laughs> and it's kind of an older case. He terrorized Tampa Bay back in 1984, and he had a murder spree that took about 10 lives. Damn. It actually took 10 lives, and they're all women. Uh and his killing spree only lasted eight months. But fucked up part was most of the bodies were found in unusual and very gruesome po uh, poses. Babe. And most of them were strangled or their throats were cut. Is what? this the Gangsville Ripper? No. No, oh. I wanted to do him, but this one was kind of more my speed. Plus, it caught my eye as I was doing my research. Like Similar, kind of though. Well, just the way it was all women... And, you know, I'll, we'll talk about it. I'll talk, okay. tell you. All right, bit. proceed. Don't want to ruin my story. Like, you always end up doing. I know too much about this shit. I True. So, uh, Bobby Lee Long, he had moved to West Virginia, or West from West Virginia to Miami as a child. And his mother, who was a cocktail waitress, raised him alone. He had a normal childhood. After high school, he uh, got married to his childhood sweetheart. Aww. But... He then became very violent. Damn it, Bobby. God damn it, Bobby. <laughs> so his ex-wife, Cindy Brown, was interviewed, and she actually recalls uh, fearing for her life as mm. the attacks grew worse. She told the authorities about a day where uh, he had choked her out and knocked her unconscious. Damn. Yeah. So the law enforcement actually didn't have a lot of clues about the murders in 1984. Up until the case of Lisa Noland. Okay. So, uh, Lisa, Lisa Noland was the 11th victim of Bobby's, but she was the only one that survived. Wow. Uh, so, Bobby killed 10, but attacked 11 people. Okay. So, she actually described, like, this police reporter is pretty fucking intense. This chick was, she was a fighter. She was strong. Hell yeah, girl. She described her attack in great detail. She described the the church where Long abducted her, the gun that he had pressed against her head, the bright light that she could see from underneath her uh, blindfold that was on the edge of the dashboard, which read Magnum, as in a Dodge Magnum. Like, she put all these things she fucked knew. together. Yeah, she yeah. put all this shit together. She was fucking great. She did a good job. And she was actually, this bit is a little bit fucked up, but she was... She was on her period, and she knew she was on her period, and she knew she needed a fight. So Wait, what does that have to do with her needing to fight? You'll see. Okay. She, uh, she was on her period, so she left blood in the back seat, but she also left blood evidence at the church that she was abducted from. Like, purposefully? Purposefully, yeah. Hell she left a trail of menstruated yeah. blood to her captor. Oh my right? god. Captor is the right word, right? Captor is the right word. Yeah. Hell fucking yeah. Women are so powerful. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah, so she could even tell when they were on the interstate going north of Tampa. 
How do you collect yourself enough? I that's what I'm saying. I don't know. So Bobby took her to his apartment, and when she got there, she counted the steps up to the second floor. Okay. Yeah, Bobby let her use the bathroom, so <laughs> she went ahead and left fingerprints in the bathroom in spots that wouldn't be visible if you just walked in looking. That's so cool. And she actually left fingerprints everywhere. Okay. So this girl was, she was fighting the whole way through. She was only 17 years old. Aw, sweet little baby. Yeah. The day before her abduction, she actually wrote a suicide note. And she had planned to take her life from the year, or after the years of abuse by her uh, grandmother's boyfriend. That. So she knew that if she fought Bobby from her past, you know, she knew from her past abuse that if she fought Bobby was going to enrage uh, enrage him and make it worse and she was just going to die. So that's why she made up the plan of I'm just going to leave my period blood fucking everywhere and be nice to this guy and survive for as long as I fucking can. That way if I do die at least I'll have evidence everywhere pointing to this guy, you know what I mean? So she could possibly save herself but also possibly save somebody else. Other women. That makes yeah. me want to cry. And that she picked that up just from her years of abuse from her grandmother's so boyfriend. So this kind of showed her that maybe suicide wasn't exactly and this is actually a quote from her uh she said that i had i had to learn who he was what made him tick if i did the wrong move it could end my life so literally the night before i wrote a suicide note and now i was in a position where i had to save my life wow i was like oh right when i read that and that was kind of the title of the story i was like Found it. Damn, girl. Okay. Yeah. So she knew that if she, you know, she couldn't make him mad, so she started to appeal to some kindness that he had showed her when she, when he was washing her hair after he repeatedly raped her. Oh, good. So I'm going to wash her hair now. But still, she saw that, uh, you know, that little bit of kindness, so she appealed to that uh, Stockholm Syndrome type deal to make him, you know, feel a certain way. I will say, I, I keep referencing the Israel Keys case. I'm so sorry. It's just been just on my mind. Just do a story on him. I, I will eventually, but listen. His first, I think, recorded rape that he had, he hid in a fairly unused um, bathroom, like campground bathroom. Mm -hmm. And he grabbed this girl and raped her. And the reason he didn't kill her, he said, it seemed as though she had been raped before. She didn't fight back. She was kind to me after, asked me questions, and even asked if I was okay. So she... These women got let go, which is unfortunate because this is something that they had endured before, and for whatever reason, it it didn't, didn't get those guys off. off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she actually asked Bobby uh, what made him do what he did, ah. and he said that he suffered a bad breakup and he hated women. Okay. Right. I'm one, like one more time. Fuck the patriarchy. Okay. Done. So, again, not to make Bobby mad, she told him he seemed nice and that maybe she could be his girlfriend wow. and that she wouldn't tell anybody. Aww. So, Bobby got uh, Lisa dressed. He let her loose and told her not to take off her blindfold for five minutes. She got out of the car. She actually tripped over the curb. And <sighs> reportedly, she said that uh, Bobby caught her before she actually fell to the ground. How if he's sitting in the... No, she, he wasn't sitting in the car. He had to let her out. She was blindfolded. Okay. Come on, drunkie. Follow the story. She was... 
blindfolded I, I, in the car. He had a letter out. I get what you're saying, right. but still. I'll she, rape you repeatedly, but don't trip over that curb. Yeah, watch out for the curb, little girl. <laughs> God. Uh, so she waited for what seemed an eternity and then pulled off her blindfold. She was actually dropped off at a different church, and she was standing in front of the tree. So today she actually says that, that she claims that tree is hers, and it's part of her logo logo for her T-shirt. That was like she realized she was safe. Yeah, yeah. And investigators were baffled by uh, the trail of bodies that Bobby had left behind in Tampa. So the killing spree actually started with artists, uh, artists, and Wick. Question. She was the first killed in March of 1984. Are you going to tell us how they connected all of these? How they connected all the murders? To him? All they connected was uh, Lisa. That was the only thing that connected all of them together was Lisa. Just wait until I do my story. I'm confused. Okay. I understand you're confused, but you fucking want all the goddamn answers within the first second of the goddamn story. So let me tell my story, quit interrupting me, and we'll be good to go. Why is he so mean? Oh, don't act like the victim here. You're the instigator, alright? Mm. I did a really good job on these <laughs> notes, and you're fucking it up. Alright? I've uh, done nothing! Damn it! <sighs> so Lisa was the only survivor... And from the trail of evidence she left behind, investigators were able to arrest Bobby Long, <gasps> who then confessed to the crimes. What? Fuck! If she let me read three more sentences, she would have had the answer. Wait, so he just spilled all of his shit that they yeah. didn't even know about him? He's yeah. like, oh, by the way, I killed nine other women or ten other women. Well, uh, yes and no. He didn't confess to everything. He received uh, 28 life sentences. Holy shit! And he only received one death sentence for the murder of 22-year-old Michelle Sims. So they're going to kill him. And why is that one a death sentence mm-hmm. and not... Okay, whatever. Uh, I don't I get how the justice uh, They probably had it. more evidence on that Michelle Sims than they did on Lisa. Mm-hmm. Mine was really just all about Lisa. Okay. That's really all it was. Well, I mean, Lisa's a fucking badass. Well, catch this out. Catch this out? Or catch it out. Or catch what? it out? Check this out? <laughs> there it oh is. my god. I put so much vodka in these smoothies. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> Lisa's actually now a deputy. Yes! Of the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office. Fuck yeah. Same department that she actually led to Bobby Long's arrest back in 1984. Fuck yes. Mm-hmm. And she attended Bobby Lee's execution. And she made sure that she sat front row right in front of the chair so he could see her. Actually, no, he can't see her. It's a, well, it's a two-way two mirror. mirror. Yeah. Well, can't they see her? No, they can see him. He can't see her. That's some bullshit. I've read a lot about death chambers. Trust God's me. bullshit. Anyways, that's my story. And Lisa, you are a fucking badass. That's amazing, though, that she picked herself up from that, threw herself back into it for her career... And then walked into that death chamber, sat down, and was like, I'm not fucking afraid of you. I'm going to watch you die. Mm -hmm. Hell yeah. And reportedly, I guess, uh, other witnesses that were in uh, the chamber for his execution, uh, they wore, like, polo t-shirts that had pictures of all the other victims that said, gone but not forgotten. And then on the back of each t-shirt had all 10 pictures of the victims so you didn't really have a lot of information on the other victims that he had murdered just no i escaped. looked into it but i mean that whole story would have been 
like it would have been way too long because each one was so it was so strong and so independent i mean look it up bobby lee long and he was executed in i think it was last year oh like this year or this month last year so that was recent yeah okay Yeah, yeah, yeah shit well, guys, it looks like we ended a little bit early this week. Um, I'll just go over our social and stuff real quick. So please like, follow, comment, contribute, interact. We have Facebook, Booze, Bullshit, and True Crime. We also have Instagram under the same name, Booze, Bullshit, and True Crime. If you have any true crime stories, things found in walls, paranormal activity stories, weird shit from your small town, tell us email us shit if you have a favorite drink you want us to try send us that for sure any of that, that shit any we of just want to we just want to hear you yeah um our email is booze bs and true crime at gmail.com that's all spelled out there's no and symbol it's a and d so that's booze bs and true crime at gmail.com all right guys this was a fun one uh Thanks for listening. Later. Okay, bye.